0: Like we talked about last time, there are four separate mitzvahs in the Ten Commandments related to idolatry. Uh, We talked about not believing last week. This week we're going to talk about the next three uh, mitzvahs related to idolatry in the Ten Commandments, not making, manufacturing an idol, not bowing down, and not worshipping an idol. These are all separate mitzvahs. And like we mentioned last time, according to the Rambam, there's separate mitzvahs. The Ramban is a slightly different enumeration of the 613. He takes these out. He puts others in. Again, this is a very uh, kind of inside baseball thing, like this, how the scholars figure out what constitutes a mitzvah and what should be included. The bottom line is everyone ends up with 613. And everyone agrees on the principles. The only question is, is it a general mitzvah or is it a subcategory of another mitzvah? So mitzvah 27 is not to make a pagan deity not to make some sort of idol, some sort of statue that people worship. Even if someone does not actually worship that idol, making it, producing it, manufacturing it is in itself prohibited. Why? Because if there are idols around, it's dangerous because there is a likelihood that the idol may indeed be worshipped. And This is really interesting because there is a general principle To make fences around prohibited activities and to distance ourselves as much as we can from things that could lead down a slippery slope towards transgression of a prohibition, generally those things are of rabbinic origin. The rabbis will say, hey, fiddling with a pen on Shabbos may lead you to write and therefore don't fiddle with a pen on Shabbos even though that's not biblically prohibited, that's rabbinically prohibited because of a fence around the restriction. Here we have a biblical fence, so to speak. It's a biblical commandment that says don't produce an idol even if you don't worship it because you may come to worship it. Now there's a question. How exactly is this applied? Is there a prohibition to make it yourself to go into the woodworking shop or into the masonry place and make a wood idol, a stone idol? Or is it also – Prohibited to instruct someone else to make it for you. Meaning to effectuate more idols in the world is also included in this mitzvah, in this restriction, because even though you didn't make it, but you yourself contributed towards more idols being present. And this is an interesting question that the uh, sages debate over. And the reason why it's a question is because generally there's a principle – That is called shlucho shalad kamoso. Someone's emissary, someone's proxy is like themselves. Meaning that if I hire someone to do something for me, they can act on my behalf and it's as if I did it. So the classic example uh, that the Talmud brings, in fact the source of it is if someone wants to divorce their wife, and they have to send them a document of divorce. The Torah is very clear. He has to take it from his hand and give it to her hand. It has to be a direct transaction between the two. What if the man hires an emissary or even the woman hires an emissary? How does how does that work? Says the Torah. Even if the man hires an emissary to give it to the woman's emissary, it's as if the man gave it to the woman because the hand of the shliach, of the messenger, is like the hand of the sender. Similarly, we would maybe argue over here that the hand of someone who I instruct to construct an idol, it's as if I constructed it with my own hand. However, there's a principle in the Talmud, Ein shliach ledvar Vera. It's impossible for me to appoint a messenger for a sin. Why? Because if I'm instructing someone to do something that's a sin, who's instructing that person to not do something? God. I'm telling him, go sin. That's my instruction. But God is telling him, don't sin. And therefore, my... Instruction, my permission, my command, so to speak, go do this sin is overridden by God's command, don't do it. And therefore, I cannot be held liable for the sin that they do as per my instruction because they shouldn't have listened to me, they should have listened to God. And therefore, the question is posed over here, if I instruct someone to make an idol, well, they're not allowed to make an idol from their own perspective because God tells them not to make an idol too. How can I be held liable for making that instruction? After all, it was their, their choice to go against the Word of God. They listened to me. It's not my fault. They should have listened to God. Interesting question. Now, there's some other areas where this prohibition may creep up. So, for example, we know – that the sun and the moon and the stars were worshipped, maybe even still are worshipped, by many pagan societies. In fact, Abraham, in all likelihood, grew up in the city of Ur in Mesopotamia. The entire city was oriented around the moon god. And everything in the city was, even the name of the city, was inspired and oriented around worshiping this moon god so the moon in effect is an idol am i allowed to make a replica of the moon am i allowed to make some sort of image of the moon even though i'm not worshiping it again the the instruction of not making an idol has nothing to do with actually worshiping it if i never worship it never consider worshiping it making something which is accepted by some idolaters as an idol would be prohibited for me to make, which is just an interesting question. You'll see there's a discussion amongst the sages. Are you allowed to even color a page that has the sun and the moon and the stars in it? Which seems so odd. Like why would that be prohibited? This is the source and you'll see sometimes people do it. They'll put it like a page and they want to put the sun. They'll put the sun in the corner and just make a circle around it, maybe some rays coming out of it because they're not making the whole sun and that's maybe the workaround to this problem by not making a whole sun. You're not making a sun and therefore you're not making an image of an idol. So this is a big discussion. The discussion has lots of different moving parts to it. So for example, we know that there's two-dimensional objects and there's three-dimensional objects. The question is, is it only prohibited when it's three-dimensional or even when it's two-dimensional? Of course, that would extend to photography or to uh, making drawings. But the Talmud does tell us that Rabbi Yomleel, who was the president of the Jewish people and one of the greatest sages in the first century of the Common Era, he would inspect witnesses claiming to have seen a new moon by showing them these molds of various different kinds of moons. And if therefore, if he did it, obviously that's not a problem. So the argument would be is that, well, if you're doing it for some sort of reason, some sort of functional educational reason – then no one has a question that it would be okay. The question is, if you're doing it just for out of boredom, then it gets into a little bit more dicey territory. Uh, some say it's permitted because that's not three dimensional, but it is a discussion. That's all, only thing I want to share is that it is a discussion. So that's mitzvah 27. Mitzvah 28 is to not bow down to an idol. And this is different from, again, worshipping an idol because here it means not to bow down even if you don't intend to worship it and the reason for this is because bowing or prostration is the ultimate act of submission where you kind of lower yourself on the ground and you're totally subject and subservient to the thing that you're bowing down before it and we say that we're submitted to god and uh, not to anything else and in fact on the temple in the temple they would go they would actually bow down to the Almighty, so to speak, whose presence is there. And in fact, if you go to many synagogues on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, you'll actually see during uh, Rosh Hashanah once each day and Yom Kippur four times during Mussaf, the entire congregation actually bows down, gets all on the floor, on their knees and head down in a way of emulating what happened and recreating, so to speak, what happened in the temple on Yom Kippur. and. In addition, this extends to all kinds of bowing, genuflecting, prostrating that have nothing to do with actual submission or servitude. So for example, the Talmud says, what if someone has a splinter in their foot and they want to remove the splinter from their foot? Well, how do you remove a splinter from your foot? You have to kind of bow down and kind of reach it to be able to pull it out. But you have to be standing in front of a house of idolatry. Again, this is the, this is the great example of someone who has zero intention of worship or submission, but you have to be standing right in front of an idol. Says the Talmud, you're not allowed to bow down to extract a splinter from your foot because you're not allowed to bow down to a foreign god, even if you have zero intentions of servitude. In addition, the Talmud says, if someone's money, like your money pouch, falls out and scatters all in front of of an idol, you're not allowed to bow down to scoop it up because this would be a violation of this particular mitzvah because you're bowing down to an idol. And finally, we have mitzvah 29, and that is to not worship an idol in the manner that it is typically worshipped. So the way this breaks down is that there is four activities that are prohibited to do to any idol. And then there is every specific idol may have different ways that it is worshipped. So beyond the four ways of worshipping uh, to all idols, there is the specific ways for every specific idol. So for example, the Talmud talks a lot about Baal Peor. The way that Peor was worshipped is that uh, people would defecate in front of the idol. And that was the means of worship. And there was another idol called Marculis. It was a set of stones. People would throw stones at it as if they're stoning it. Um, And it gives a list of some of these very, seems to be like very demeaning, degrading practices. They're not practices of exaltation or honor, glorification. They're demeaning, but they're still prohibited because that, that's the specific manner in which those idols are worshipped. Now, the Talmud shares some really um, interesting stories about this. Uh, the Talmud tells one story about a uh, non-Jewish woman, but not an not an idolater. She was very sick. And she announced to the world, if I recover from my illness, I am going to worship every idol in the world. And lo and behold, she recovered. So she's keeping her pledge. She's gonna go worship every idol in the world. And she arrives at Baal Pa'ar. And she says to the priests manning the idol, okay, well, how do I do this? Like, what's, what's the means? Do I offer it some, 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 some spaghetti? Do I pour some libations? Wait, what do I need to do now? They say to him, well, you eat spinach, which causes you to have diarrhea. You drink, bear, which caused you to have diarrhea, and you defecate in front of the idol. She says, I am not interested. I'm sorry. I'd rather go back to my illness. I'm out of here. She said, I'm willing to go back to my illnesses, not to worship the idol in this way. And tell him reads another story about a Jewish guy who was like a taxi driver back in the day. Uh, what that meant is he had a donkey, and he would take the donkey, people would hire him to, to go for trips, for day trips. So he hired this non-Jewish woman and they're traveling along the way and they pass by the Baal Pa'or Center, Center. she says, you know what? Wait one minute for me. Let me go in there. I got to do some stuff there. So she runs in and she does her thing there and she comes back. And the Jew is like he's, he's so uh, – he views this so – he belittles this whole thing so much. He says, you know what? You wait for me. I'm going to go in there as well. And she says to him, wait, aren't you Jewish? This is not really a place for you. And he says, don't worry about me. I got this. So he goes in there and uh he defecates indeed in front of the idol. And the Talmud says that he takes the nostrils of the idol and he uses that to wipe himself. And he's like, this is that... The most demeaning way he could possibly do it, I got them. That, that was his intention. And then the priests that were there were so impressed by him. He says, no one's ever come up, <laughs> no one's ever come up with a grand innovation. This was an amazing, amazing revolution that you that you inspired. And uh the Talmud says that even though someone who's intentionally trying to demean it, if that's the way to worship it, that would be prohibited. And it's been explained in more recent times. Like, what is the meaning behind this? It sounds so strange. And it sounds so embarrassing. And it sounds so shameful. Yet we know it was kind of prevalent. So, a few things. First of all, every single idol had within it a certain degree of, uh, of, of sexual deviance. That was present with every idol. They're always, they always went together. Always. That's number one. But number two, what this particular practice symbolized was the idea of like, nothing matters. Like, we're, we're nothing. We're, we're refuse. We're our most base self. Our destiny is nothing. That's what we end up with. It's a certain like nihilistic approach. Nothing matters. And if nothing matters, everything's okay. We're, we're just animals. We, 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 we're, we're not special. We have no destiny. We have nothing special about us. Where our lives really are meaningless and therefore we could behave in this animalistic way. And then we could also extend it to all kinds of other ways to behave like animals. And of course, we know the truth is the exact opposite. In fact, in Torah, we would say that there is nothing that is indeed nothing because everything that is created has some sort of purpose in certain, in certain context. And in fact, we also know that you cannot have anything that would grow if not for fertilizer. Even the thing that is in their eyes the ultimate example of the fact that there is nothingness and that's all we really are, that is in fact needed and vital to produce anything uh, that we need for our continuity. So it's kind of like our perspective is the exact opposite of this poor ideology. They say that everything is nothing and we would say that nothing – is nothing. Everything is something. Everything has value. Everything was created by God and it has, it has a reason, has a purpose. But this concludes uh item number three of our mitzvah list. Mitzvah, like we said, the first one we talked about today is to not produce, not to make a pagan deity, not to worship via bowing and finally not to worship in whatever way it is worshipped, even In ways that are so bizarre for us to read about, so demeaning, it doesn't matter if that is the way that it is worshipped, that acting in that way would be a transgression of mitzvah number 29, not to worship idols.